Welcome to Made in Africa. Hi, and thanks for joining us for the third episode of the Made in Africa podcast. If you're listening for the first time, then a very warm welcome. You can find the first two episodes when we spoke about Mohamed Salah's record-breaking exploits for Liverpool and Zambia's Pat Sandaka and Enoch Mwepu on Spotify or Anchor. So please check them out. This week, Rahman and I will be joined by Adrian Kajumba from the Daily Mail to discuss Wilfred Zahar and the Crystal Palace forwards' international future with the Ivory Coast. But before that, let's go through some of the highlights from African players over the last couple of weeks. And it's time to say hello to my esteemed co-host, Rahman Osman from London World. Hi, mate. How are you? Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, it's been a really busy couple of weeks for African players in the Premier League. And some have been successful, some not so much. We've had Enoch Mwepu, who obviously we talked to a lot about last in the last episode. He scored his first goal for Brighton to earn them a draw against Liverpool. And it's gone bad for worse for Liverpool and Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, etc. After West Ham ended their unbeaten run and moved above them into third spot on Sunday. Did you watch any of that one, Roman? I thought Saeed Benrahman was absolutely outstanding. No, he was amazing. I was at the London Stadium. It was the very first time in a long time I'd seen the London Stadium look like Afton Park and Benrahman was sensational. I mean, in the first half, when 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 West Ham took the lead through an own goal from Allison, the only channel out, because Liverpool piled the pressure on them, the only channel out for West Ham was side Ben Rama. And I, I asked coach David Moyes after the final was what he thought about his performance. And he was like, he thought Said was as good as anyone out there on the pitch today. He His diagonal runs, his ball retention, his off-the-ball movement was up there. And it's showing in his confidence. And if you step up to take the last penalty against Manchester City and knock them out of the competition, the confidence level is up there. You're scoring goals. You're creating goals. So I'm, in, I'm very happy for Saeed at the moment. Definitely. Uh, he is such an unbelievable talent. And I think it took him a little bit of time to settle in at West Ham after you know being absolutely brilliant for Brentford. For a couple of seasons but the thing that really stood out for me I was just watching at home on TV but it's some of his first touches when the ball you know just killing the ball out of the air just killing it dead in, in the stride and then and then carrying on with his dribbling and he is just a, a joy to watch he really is when he's running with the ball it's really I'm not sure there's many other players there as as, as good as him really in that position and then moving on there was also a, a rare blip for Senegal's Edouard Mendy as, as Chelsea were held to a 1-1 draw by Burnley. Not that it was uh, the goalkeeper's fault particularly. It was just a great performance by Burnley. And then, you know, they rode their luck a little bit, but uh, they got they got a point. And that meant Manchester City were able to close the gaps to the top just three points after their easy win in the Manchester derby. Although there was no sign of Rian Mahrez again, uh, which is a bit frustrating for him. He's only made two starts so far this season. But what do you think about that, Roman? Do you think he must be must be getting a bit frustrated about all that? Yeah, Mon, I mean, it's quite really frustrating given that he played a lot last season and was really a key part of the championship winning side. But that's the thing about Pep Guardiola. You just don't know what's going on in his, in his mind. Well, Riyad will complain, but so will Raheem Sterling, who is kindly enough finding it really easy to get onto the pitch. But it's all about hard work. I mean, last season when Riyad was playing other big players were struggling to get into the team, like Bernardo Silva and 
he almost left the club this summer because he wasn't playing very well or he wasn't playing off he was playing very well but he wasn't getting a lot of game time especially when kdb came into the team this season is tailed a bit the two players who are struggling now it's riyad which is unfortunate but i should say that he has a very good chance in the second half of the season if he comes back from the african cup of nations in good shape because to be honest i think pep is keeping an eye on the afcon and doesn't want to make him a key part of the team if he leaves then that's that's downside so he's actually trying to shape up a team using a system that won't be or won't feel the effect of Riyadh if he leaves for the African Cup of Nations. But I think mm. at some point in Manchester City always arrive at the business end of the season, challenging on all fronts, trying to get the Champions League final, trying to win the league title and trying to get to the FA Cup finals and all that. I think he still has a big part to contribute this season. Mm, definitely. No, I agree. I mean, you saw Jack Grealish was, was also left out, wasn't he, in favour of Phil Foden playing it up in, on the left-hand side this time. But uh, do you think Manchester City are favourites to win the league? It's going to be very close, I think, this season. And as you yeah, said, yeah. African nations could actually be a very important factor with a lot of these players that are going to be missing in January. You know, I suppose who copes with it best, they, they might come out on top. Yeah, no. Um, and, and I keep thinking about Liverpool every time. And when I go to Stadia and I meet Liverpool fans, they're like, oh, big guys are leaving, especially. Look, listen, potentially they could make up to six games. So say Egypt went all the way to the final, most likely to miss six games in the league and two cup games. You can't bet against more going six league games without scoring. And so that's a big issue. Then the issue of Sadio Mani also. Sadio is such a really key part of what they do, his pressing, his movement and his goals and assists are key. So, Yes, the AFCON will play a part, a huge part, especially to those teams who have not just the numbers, but key players who will be away. Man City will have only Riyad Mahrez, but Liverpool will miss about three first-team players. And I'm talking of Nabi Keita, Sadio Mane, and the king himself, Mo Salah. Let's move on to the main part of this episode. And uh, it was another brilliant weekend for Palace as they beat Wolves 2-0 at Selhurst Park to make it six matches unbeaten under Patrick Vieira and moved up to 10th place in the league. Wilfred Zahal scored his fourth goal of the season after surprisingly asking not to be called up for Ivory Coast World Cup qualifiers against Mozambique and Cameroon this week. So let's welcome Adrian Kajumba to the podcast. Adrian, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Pleasure to have you here, mate. It's good to speak to you. Now, Adrian's worked for The Mirror and now The Mail and broke the story that Zahar was not actually considering his international future, despite comments from the Ivory Coast manager, Patrice Brumel, when he announced his squad. So, Adrian, what's your understanding of the situation? Well, I think, firstly, the first thing I would say is there, initially anyway, there seemed to be um, one issue in particular that was maybe lost in translation, where the idea that um, Wilfred Zahar was homesick um, and that was the reason behind him not being in, involved in the squad. It was nothing to do with that. It was actually um, more connected to the sort of illness that he came back from the last international break with. Um, and I think he's previously had uh, sort of come back with illness, little knots as well from, from international duty. And given that after the last international break, he missed the Arsenal game, he played against Newcastle, but only as a sub. And then by the time he'd call, he was called up for this international break, he'd only started the one game um, at Man City. I think it was 
almost like a, a bit of a knock-on effect, really. Just where he'd only just come back and then he was called up again. And I think where, you know, these international breaks at the start of the season are so close together. If you do come back with an injury from one and it takes you out for a week, 10 days, and it's not too long before, you, you, you know, you're required again to go back on international duty. So I think it was just, you know, he'd had, he'd had some chats with the Ivory Coast manager about a few things. Uh, and one of the issues raised was, you know, basically could, you know, Ivory Coast are at top of their sort of qualifying group for this sort of second stage of, of the CAF World Cup qualifying. Um, I've only just come back from illness. Would it be okay if I missed these two games? Only these two games. There was, from, from what I understand, there was no mention of him wanting to um, consider international, you know, consider his international future. And it sounds like it's just a little bit of a misinterpretation of, of the conversation, shall I say. Maybe without giving away too much because I've compromised m- myself and <laughs> maybe a few of the people I've spoken to about it, but I think, you know, in, in their conversations, it sounds like, um, you know, Wilfred was raising a, a few issues maybe to do with, with the Ivory Coast setup and things like that, which I think is, is quite normal. And, you know, I think when you, you know, when, when you're him and, you know, you guys will know him, he's, he, um, Wilfred is a player, he, I mean, you see how demanding he is, for example, on his Palace teammates, you know, he wants the mm. best, he wants to achieve. And I think maybe an element of that came over. And it was mentioned to me last week when I kind of looked into this story that sometimes when you do that and maybe you don't toe the line, um, you know, there's almost like a bit of a backlash. Um, and I think maybe because of these conversations he was having, issues he was raising, you know, there may have, this may have been, if you see, if you like, backlash is maybe a bit strong, but this may have been maybe a little bit of a strike back, if you see what I mean, maybe give out this impression mm. that he was considering yeah. his international future and, you know, would make yeah. naturally people question his commitment. Um, but not nowadays, as we as we all see, all these players have got their own sort of social media channels, and if anything comes out which is not quite correct or their understanding of the situation, they're able to correct. That. Let me just read the statement that um, that Wilfred Zahar released um, just to clarify uh, his situation. He said, despite numerous press reports, I've never said at any time that I'm reconsidering my international playing future. To put on the Ivory Coast shirt and represent my country is, is an honour that I never ever take for granted. During the last international fixtures, I picked up a viral infection while travelling and was ill when I returned, unable to train and was forced to miss Crystal Palace's game against Arsenal. As I don't feel fully recovered, I spoke to the manager and asked his permission to miss the next two games. I will, of course, be available and present if I'm selected for future games and wish the team every success in the next two matches and qualification for the World Cup. But it is interesting. I was there at the, uh, at the AFCON in Egypt uh, a couple of years ago now. And, and uh, he, there's something not quite right about him when he plays for Ivory Coast. I mean, Pepe was also uh, in that team, the, the Arsenal player uh, from Ivory Coast. And he had a reasonably good tournament. They, they didn't really do that well. But Pepe was, was kind of outshone as a whole. He, he doesn't look like the same player when he's playing for them. I wonder why it's never really happened for him. Any thoughts, Roman? Yeah, so the, the environment is quite different from the one he plays at in a palace and I need to say this because um, I'm sure you'd also know well very well he's quite a really central person he wants to feel loved and be a central guy then you'd get the best out of him I don't think they do that in 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 the Ivory Coast and that's having an effect on him if you look at he's played 21 games he's brought back only five goals in that and if you compare that to Halle from Ajax and formerly of West Ham United, he's played six games, he's brought back three goals and he's he's really enjoying his time there. I think that the, the entire football, the way they play in the Ivory Coast is 
is that it doesn't make him the key figure that he wants to be. And to be fair, if you have a team like you mentioned, Nicolas Pepe, Maxwell Conner now of, uh, of Burnley, who's playing very well, Jeremy Borga, and some really big names like Jevinho. And Jevinho is still part of the setup, and he's one of the experienced guys in the team. He's, I just, anytime I watch Wilf in the Ivory Coast, I feel like he's just part of the team. They take him out when they want to, or sometimes like in the last game against Malawi, they had only one goal and you'd feel that, why are you taking Wilf off? And he's going to be upset that like, I travel all the time, I come into play and I'm one of the key forward people to be taken away. And I feel like I should be a key figure. No way will Palace be, Palace take him out of a game. And this is a good challenge to him himself because He's gone to United and he, when he wasn't a key figure of that, it didn't quite come up for him. He came back to Palace where everything starts and ends with him. He's made that part. He's gone to the Ivory Coast since 2017. He's yet to fully own that team. So it will be interesting the next few international games. But I feel like for me, in part, is how he just feels when he's playing in that setup. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously he, he played for England twice, way back when Roy Hodgson was a manager, uh, two substitute appearances in friendlies. And then obviously a few years later decided to go to the Ivory Coast. And Adrian, I, I don't know how much you know about that situation with England, but it's kind of there's something that's always hung over him a little bit. And I know it wasn't necessarily his, his fault. You know, there's suggestions there was a, a bit of a falling out with Gareth Southgate, but... It always seemed a shame that he wasn't, you know, a part of the England setup. It was a shame, and I think there was there have been periods, maybe at the start of his time in the Ivory Coast, when he really sort of found that top form in the Premier League, where you were thinking if Wilfred Zaha was available for England, he'd be in this England squad now. Mm. So, so it is a real shame. But I mean, ultimately, England, for one of a for one of a better phrase, had the kind of first dibs on Wilfred Zaha because they had him sort of coming through their youth system. He was playing for the under twenty ones. Mm. Um, he got in the senior side and then they ignored him for a very long time mm. um, and if you're him you know Rahman's talked on uh, maybe some of the traits that Wilfred Zahar has, has got um, in terms of wanting to, to feel central he's got that at Crystal Palace and it helps him flourish um, yes when you go into the England setup it's, it's a bigger pool of players you're going into etc it's the best in the country but there was no, there was no love shown um, by England and at the same time, he, he did receive that. I think I've spoken to people in the past, in the last couple of years, where they mentioned how, how he's treated sort of when he goes back to the Ivory Coast and things like that. So he would feel that love in the environment that he's going back into. Mm. And when, I think the other thing as well is when sometimes when, I'm not even just going to say African players, when dual nationality players are called up in maybe the way Wilfred Zaha was and treated um, by... England and perhaps other nations in the way Wilfred Zaha was, there's always going to be that lingering suspicion in the back of your mind that are they just calling me up to cap me, to, to tie me to this country? I can't actually play for anyone else. Um, and, you know, when, you, when you, you play him in the friendlies, he's, not, he's obviously not tied, but there's that connection. But when they didn't build on that, and as the time went on, you did wonder if oh, maybe they were just trying to, you know, maybe that was what was in their thinking at the time. So look, he, he gets... He gets the gets the affection, the attention that, you know, when he goes back to the Ivory Coast, he gets that. And, and he didn't get anything even close um, to that from England. So, mm. 
Adrian, what do you think? Do you think he's going to go to Afcon? I think first of all, most Palace fans were hoping that this news was like it was it was going to be great for them that he'd be sticking around in January. But what do you think? Do you think he's going to be going to Afcon? My impression from the conversations I got had last week, sorry, was was that this kind of situation was just for these two games um, mm. against Mozambique and Cameroon, and he would be sort of fully available for selection going forward after that. It sounded, you know, was made as clear maybe as it could be that it was just a two-game situation um, mm. and nothing more than that. I think that's why there was a bit of shock about whole, you know, the whole considering his international future element. Uh, so let's do a little bit about Zahar at Palace. They've made such an amazing start to the season under under Patrick Vieira and, it, and it's obvious that they're not as reliant on him as they used to be. But do you think he's still as, in, as important to them as he ever has been? Personally think yes. And I, I also think what... The kind of setup at Palace now is almost like exactly what he's been crying out for for a number of years. Just, you know, you saw it last year with Eze coming in, someone else who can sort of take that, share that attacking burden with him. And then you got Conor Gallagher coming in, you got an Edward, you got Alise, who's, who we've seen flashes of so far. And you just think, you know, Wilfred's, oh, I remember when I, um, I remember when I interviewed him uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, like he, he you know, this guy has taken some serious kicks in his life as a footballer, simply because he's been playing in a team where he's been the one that opposition teams know, stop him. And we got a decent chance of stopping Palace full stop. I remember him sort of showing me marks on his, on his like lower legs and stuff. And he remembered like who these, you know, who caused these marks, like which defenders were the ones that are like, you know, responsible for these scars that he's got on his legs. And that's kind of how he's, how it's been for him, a lot, you know, for a lot of his time at Crystal Palace. So sort of having these these players, as I said, who can share share the burden with him, um, you know, you look, and you look at his numbers already. I think it's four four goals and assists in his first ten Premier League games. That that sort of puts him on course to beat his only scoring record of last year, which I believe was his best eleven goals. Um, already, he's talked about the different way Palace are playing and you know they're, what they're doing in sort of the final third and exploiting the the, the ability, the quality, of the attacking players they've got. He's only going to better because, you know, talent-wise, you know, yes, Palace have got more, you know, more names. They've got more options in that sort of final third and in terms of their attacking game. But talent-wise, he's still there. He's still going to be their, their most talented player. So he's always going to play a part. He's, mm. he's always going to be essential and central to what they do. He's just got more help up there. Yeah, you're right. I, I think all that frustration was really starting to boil over, I thought, last year. You know, he was wasn't harnessing his aggression in the right way. It was it was almost getting him in trouble, and it's happened actually a couple of times this season. You know, mm. um, against Tottenham, he was probably quite lucky not to be sent off. I mm. thought he raised his arms against uh, Tanganga, but then obviously that was the, the turning point in the game, and they went on to win that really comfortably. And he was he was brilliant in that game, uh, and that was the, actually the best I've seen him play for for quite some time. And since then, yeah, he's built on that. I think you're right, you know, seeing the likes of, I think especially Edouard is the big one because mm. he's got somebody to play the ball to and, and to exchange yeah. with. Whereas with Benteke, you, the number of times I've seen him throw his hands up after failing to get it back or Benteke fails to slip him in or, you know, whatever. Um, we, everybody knows the short, shortcomings of Benteke, but he's he's also playing really, really well. Um so yeah, it's it's really interesting. What do you think with his next contract? There, that's that's the big question now with his high. He's only got he's got less than two years left. Well, I think it's still 
really early days yet under Vieira. He's he's got four goals now, and he's already he's only just really got going after a really slow start. I think that his camp will still be looking at how this project will go away. But one thing, and I've just got to add a little bit on what Adrian said. I think that even under Roy, when they had less of the ball and played more directly, his numbers were very encouraging. At the end of this season, I'm sure he'll sit down and look, we've changed the way we've played. We've had the ball more. We retain it much more. We pass it more. We are creating more in front. So does that reflect in my... My, my numbers, am I scoring more? Am I creating more? Am I deciding games more? That will be key on what he will decide to do. Because I think a player like him, it doesn't matter. He would always have offers. People will always throw money at him. But he's also very mindful of what he gets from Palace. And so, yes, at this stage, I'll think he's happy. But to sign a contract at this point, I'll think he'll think about it. Just, just to kind of pick up on that in terms of his future... You mentioned eight, you know, turn of the year will be 18 months left um, on that sort of five-year deal we signed in 2018. And I think there will, there will certainly be no rush from, from what I'm told. Palace are sort of keen and, and hoping to certainly have discussions about a new contract. But I think from, from Wilfred's side, you could understand if there's certainly no rush to, to enter that kind of conversation, simply because the previous contract he signed was, and that sort of commitment he made was ultimately what maybe prevented him moving, not because he was under contract, but because of the length of it um, and the prices or the value, the money it allowed Palace to ask for. So now, now he enters into that last 18 months and you got maybe those, those clubs who, who like Wilfred Zaha, but maybe didn't want to pay, you know, what was being asked of before. All of a sudden, the kind of momentum if you like in you know who's got the power in these negotiations who's in a more favorable situation it kind of now swings a little bit more his way um I don't know if this I don't know if this podcast is deliberate but I, I had a look earlier on and it's actually Wilfred Zara's birthday 29 so you got that kind of issue with um clubs maybe thinking you know looking at his age and how much it may have costed you know how much may have cost him in the last maybe year 18 months to pay somebody of that age obviously when that when that value drops even even a 28, 29-year-old Wilfred Zaha all of a sudden becomes a little bit more of an attractive proposition when that price maybe becomes a bit more affordable. So it's, it's a really interesting situation because, you know, a lot of clubs may not be willing to spend big money on a, on a 28, 29-year-old, but, you know, if that money, if that value comes down to a little bit more reasonable, for somebody like Wilfred Zaha, who's, his talent is obvious, fitness record, I, I feel, especially for somebody, as I said, who takes a lot of kicks and... Um, is, plays a lot. I think his fitness record is is, is pretty good, very good. So it, it could be. It's just going to be a very interesting sort of situation. Maybe this, in the next window in January, and then again next summer to see how that plans out. Uh, something you mentioned, Adrian, that I wanted to just come back to um, in terms of a couple of young players at Palace, actually, uh, particular Ezzy and Elise, who well, Ezzy is on the fringes. Well, was on the fringes of the England squad. Um, before he got injured, you know, was called into the to the Euros training squad, uh, and then tra- you know, really tragically got injured just as he just before he found that out. Uh, and then Elise, who's been absolutely unbelievable since he's, since he's come to Palace, you know, only making substitute appearances but having an impact, you know, really dazzling and and showing that he's a very exciting prospect. Do you think those two are going to learn quite a lot from from Wilf, and you know, perhaps potentially go on to play for England? 
I think um, I can maybe answer a bit more confidently, confidently on Eze because I think that was something that he's mentioned. I mean, if you interviewed him a couple of times, and he's actually mentioned how um, you know Wilfred was almost sort of taking him under his wing in some ways. You know, with the they're not exactly the same type of player, but what, I think maybe when when that kind of talk is mentioned, what, what what people are talking about, and I think even what Eze alluded to is it's sort of very skillful players, they're entertaining players. Great footwork, you know. Although they, although they do, although they perform differently, there are some elements that cross over in, in the type of player they are. So it was almost natural when Eze came that, you know, Zaha would look at him and he would look at Zaha, and, and there would be some kind of relationship that would build up. Elise, I think he was. The, I think a lot of people said he was the best player in the championship when he joined Palace. Has come with an injury, but as you said, um, you know, he's really made an impact in the sort of minimal time that he's got. Um, and again, you can see, again, you know, skillful player, creative, um, has got the end product, and they're almost like you know, just look. They both of them look like players capable of giving to Palace what Zahara has been doing, but on his own. <laughs> so you know, now it's almost like they've got three, mm. three players. Well, they, but they, they complement him. You know that, that that's why I think a lot of Palace fans will be desperate that Zahar does stay and doesn't go in January or next summer because the, the potential of seeing the three of them together, and uh, I think they can complement each other as well because they're not quite—they're not the same player at all. They play yeah. in different positions, so that—that that is very exciting. No, no, I agree, and it was—it's was interesting talking to, uh, listening to Raman, sorry, when he was talking about the possibility of Wilfred Zaha and getting to the end of the season and looking at his numbers, and you know, Raman was talking about it being early days in the Vieira era as well, which I, which I think is is, is quite important because that that maybe gives um, Palace. You know, if they can if they can improve and show the sort of trajectory they're on, that may give them something to kind of go to Wilfred and say, you know, this is maybe the first time we've given you this sort of team to play in, and you know, look at the sort of players we surrounded you with, and, and look at maybe the type of football we've played. And mm. again, if these numbers go in the right direction, the numbers you've been able to produce, and maybe that might be something that that they can play on, you know, if and when it comes to the point where they start talking about a new contract. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how how Palace are affected as well by Afcon because you. You've also got Kayati, uh, Jeffrey Schlupp, and Jordan Ayew who are probably going to be going to Afcon. Robin, what do you think? Is it going to? They're going to be one of the teams that are affected. I know those those three that I mentioned aren't exactly the, the most important players, but they they all they're all playing regularly and being part of the setup anyway under Patrick Vieira. Yeah, no, that's that's a really key part, and it doesn't matter when you lose your best player, who's Wilfred Zaha, for a possible a month. That always has an effect on your team. I mean, you'd look at other teams, maybe see Watford will lose about six players, but you'd look at other teams in the middle of the table and you go like, they don't lose nothing or they don't lose an important player like Wolf. But having said so, I'm just really glad they are beginning to pick up points because see, by the time they go to AFCON and Palace have already around maybe 22, 23, maybe 25 points, then they could just about hold on and get to about 30, the 30 point mark and know that safety is almost within touching distance. It's always important that when you're starting a new project like what Vera is doing, you don't flirt with relegation because then you leave your last few games worrying about going down or staying up. But if they are in a position where they are not really looking down their shoulders or below where they are, then they can continue to implement it. The absence of key players will tell Vieira also where his project is heading to. We saw that against Arsenal. 
when we suddenly saw the the, the, the the sheets and there was no Wilfred Zaha and then boom, all the way they went and maybe produced their best performance um, of the season so far. So in his absence, it would be interesting to see where the likes of Olise can step in, the likes of um, Ebereche Eze, when he comes back from injury, will do. So his absence will definitely be a big blow, but it will, it will be softened by the fact that now they are beginning to get the results, their performance have have always deserved so far. And that's that's a problem they've had in the last few years. We've all been to Palace and, you know, whenever Wilf is not, not around, you, it doesn't take long for the stat to flash up about how bad their record is um, without him. I think that, you know, they've started to turn that around, I think maybe in the last year, 18 months, to make it look like they can actually win games without him. But that's that's maybe what, what Aneze and, and Elise can, again, help them kind of get over if that makes sense, if he is away, if he does go to AFCON, then there you go. There's a chance. I mean, Eze's only just come back from a really serious injury, as Ed mentioned, but hopefully by by the time AFCON rolls around, he'll be will be back up to speed. So you know, it's it's a, it's a chance for them and for the Palace to see maybe what they've got beyond Wilfred, just so that you know they can be confident that if there is a game when he's not around, as we saw against Arsenal, they can still perform. Definitely. And just finally, Adrian, it's been really, really great to have you on. Um, I just wanted to get your view on Vieira, obviously a son of Africa, born in Senegal, but made his name for Arsenal when playing for France. But how important do you think it is uh, that he's he's doing so well at Palace in terms of the reputation for black managers? Because he's really, there's not many around and he's doing, he's defying expectations, I think it's fair to say. It's, it's massive, you know. I mean, the, uh, we're, we're all journalists and we have to be impartial to a point, but um, if I'm if I'm allowed to say I'm kind of secretly well not secretly anymore because I'm about to tell you but I'm I'm willing Vieira on um, you know massively because of what that sort of element that you just mentioned there and it's been it was so good I did a, a piece before he went to before he went back to Arsenal and it was so good to sort of speak to people in and around Palace and hear about the impact he's making and the changes he's making and you can kind of just see them playing out in front of you what we needed what what we, what Palace, should I say, needed um, was exactly what Rama just mentioned, was the results. Um, and it would be, it's great, first of all, to just have a a new kind of managerial name sort of doing well. And then when you chuck in those other elements that you mentioned there, Ed, um, sort of youngish black manager doing well as well. It's it's just it's just great to see and long may it continue. Yeah, because it's important to have somebody successful that, you know, if you're, if you're aspiring young black manager then you can see that there's somebody who's doing it and you know that you can that it's possible for you to do it it is whenever the topic comes up it's an issue the sort of lack of role model the lack of role model sorry the lack of presence that if you can't see it you can't be it you need you need somebody like Vieira to be doing well so you know maybe some of those players coming out of the game who've who've looked at what's going on in management in, in England and thought, nah, this is not for me. I'm not going to move my expertise on into the coaching world because I don't see anyone doing well. I don't see anyone getting opportunities. That's why, you know, Patrick Vieira's got, got his own pressures to deal with. Um, but, you know, that's why we, you, the, the football industry needs people like him um, doing well just to show people what can be done. Well, I mean, he's so impressive, isn't he? He's he's really calm and collected about everything, isn't he? And even though you know he's this like physically massive guy, and you know he could intimidate you if he wanted to, he just doesn't. He doesn't even need to do that. Though. He, you know, do you understand what I mean? He's just 
He's so cool and calm all the time, isn't he? He doesn't seem to get that worked yeah. up about anything. His calmness really surprises me and inspires me. I remember when he took over the side and preseason wasn't really going very well. They played against Charlton. I was at Selhurst that day, and one of the things the Charlton fans were saying that see you down in the championship because Charlton were thinking that would go up in the championship and Palace would meet them there. And so um, as he started the season and the signs were beginning to go, it's never changed. His persona never changes. The way he addresses the, the press doesn't change. When he wins, he punches the air, tries to shoot a little bit. Just that calmness, that assurance shows you that he knows what he's doing. And just to my final point on this one, representation physically, I remember Ian Wright did something which I wrote about um, during, during Black History Month where he spoke about the importance of representation. He said when he was growing up, there were other really good Black footballers around him, but there was really little Black representation at the highest level in football. And so some of them didn't really pursue it to the highest level. So various success will go beyond the borders of just even England. It will show that Black coaches can get good opportunities or giving good opportunities can give the same kind of resource or even better given the same resources. So like Adrian said, I mean, we're all just hoping that it continues this way, the results come and he, ha- he enjoys his time in, in, in Croydon. And, and I don't want to go off too much on a tangent, but on a similar note, that's why I'm loving what I'm seeing from Edward Mendy um, in goal for Chelsea. Similar thing. Yes, Adrian. And this is going to be, this is definitely going to be one of a, a topic for a future episode because I, it's something I, I read your I article mean, actually the other day. It was very interesting. It's, it's massive what it's massive what he's doing. And he's spoken, he spoke about it. Um, in, I was watching an interview of him that he did with Lawrence Vigaru, who's a black goalkeeper. At, um, we should just say, Adrian, for people who don't know, that you are a former goalkeeper yourself, aren't you? Yeah. So basically, <laughs> Edward, Edward Mendy's doing what I once dreamed of doing, but was nowhere near good enough to do. So. Uh, <laughs> Edward Mendy did an interview with Lawrence Vigaru, a Leighton Orient goalkeeper, a goalkeeper at Leighton Orient. I watched it a couple of weeks ago. And he mentioned there about the responsibility he feels to do well as a black goalkeeper because he's fully aware of the, the lack of numbers, but also the perception people have of black goalkeepers. Um, and Edward Mendy's just taught, tearing them up and just kicking them into touch and just basically showing how good black goalkeepers can be. Um, and, you know, anyone who's maybe stereotype them or dismiss them because of stereotypes they've got in their mind um, you know you, you can't be missing out so it's great to see what Edward Mendy's doing and, and he's got a kind of similar job <laughs> to Vieira again as I said about putting pressure on him but a similar kind of role in terms of inspiring and showing what's possible mm. but in both cases they both seem to like uh, you know revel in that they don't they're not they're not like intimidated by it they, they really you know they see it as an opportunity to to make history really and that's great to see that you can see yeah, and it's true because it's it's a subject when like when the question was put to Mendy, he could easily have just batted it off and just said, "No, no, I'm just doing this for myself." You know, anything else that comes, you know, comes if you see what I mean. But he actually said, "You know, no, I actually feel the responsibility," mm. um, which is which is a big one to take on to your shoulders when you've got enough to deal with in terms of keeping goal for Chelsea, playing in the Champions League, trying to win the league with them. You know, to take on that added sort of responsibility is you know, fair play to him for doing that, and he's he's doing unbelievably in that context definitely and as i said i think this is just one subject that we we are we are going to discuss at length in a future episode because uh edouard mendy has been spectacular since he joined chelsea anyway adrian thank you so much for your time it's been really interesting to hear from you and thank you, uh, yeah, adrian, for coming. much appreciated no worries thanks for having me again appreciate it thanks so much to adrian for his insights there it's been really enjoyable to talk about palace particularly when they're doing so well 
Let's hope Zaha can keep up his good form when the Premier League returns next week after the international break. In the meantime, please take some time to vote in our poll which asks where will Palace finish in the Premier League this season. I hope you've all enjoyed the latest episode. Thanks for listening and I look forward to you next time.